Hello everyone and welcome to itsyourseason.life where we are discovering and living life at any age. I'm Lisa Boson. I'm here to introduce you to people like you and me who have rediscovered themselves, stretched their abilities, and to me, kept their light under a bushel basket. I hear their stories and think, wow, that is so cool. These are ordinary people doing the extraordinary. So what are we doing? Well, you know how you'd love to hear your peers succeed, get inspired by those who just try? That's us. That's itsyourseason.life. Don't forget to follow us on our website, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. I'm there sharing weekly updates and, of course, what's in season, be it people, food, feelings, and nature. So let's get started. Welcome, everyone, to today's It's Your Season.Live podcast. It is Thursday, February 11th, and our guest is Carrie Tempolsky, owner of Source Points Community Acupuncture in Fort Collins, Colorado. Carrie has a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine and is recognized as diplomat of acupuncture by the National Certification Commission for Acupuncture and Oriental Medicine. She has over 28 years in the healthcare field, and yes, we're going to hear all about that, and expanded her skills and mastery of acupuncture under Dr. Mikio Sankey, and is an approved esoteric acupuncture practitioner. In her spare time, if she has any, I'm really concerned about that, she also (laughs) studied Taoist philosophies, Qigong, and is certified external qi healer, as well as a meditation instructor using Western meditation techniques, as well as techniques from others' philosophy. So help me welcome Carrie Tempolsky today. Thanks so much for joining us, Carrie. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Lisa. I appreciate it. It's nice Uh, to chat with you today. Oh, I'm so excited. I think our audience is going to be excited too. So one thing you mentioned in your bio on the website is importance of meditation and movement and the love of the outdoors as essential to your continued well-being and growth and to being the best practitioner you can be. But I really want to know how did all this come into being? So kind of let's just get started there. How did... How did this happen? (laughs) How did this happen? That's a good question. I um, sometimes ask myself the same thing. Um, So my first career was actually, uh, I worked in Western medicine. Um, I actually started at the age of 21 working in the emergency department. Um, I became an EMT technician and worked in the ER and then went on to nursing school. And it wasn't until... I had uh, graduated from nursing school. I started having um, some of my own physical problems, uh, uh, basically some back issues that were causing me some difficulty. And um, that was actually how I got introduced to the concept of acupuncture. Um, I was having treatments myself and um, working in Western medicine, it's a very physical job working in the emergency department is a very physical job um, and it's also very psychologically stressful as I'm sure you can imagine. Um, So you know during the era of my late 20s I started developing those physical concerns and worked with an acupuncturist um, to kind of help me get through them after the components of western medicine I was using weren't really helping Um, so I was you know, introduced to chiropractic and uh, acupuncture and found it to be actually quite life-changing because I originally had gone, of course, for that pain, that physical body pain. But what I had discovered along the way was that it kind of created an opening for me um, 
into a little bit higher spiritual self. I know that sounds a little bit unusual, but I did have some pretty profound things happen um, in terms of my awareness of the true connection between the mind and the body and the spirit. I would have these acupuncture sessions and leave feeling lighter and clearer and um, and it kind of created a spiritual unfolding for me at the same time. I started to study different philosophies, um, not necessarily a religious perspective, but, you know, Buddhism was a place that I uh, found some interesting um, knowledge because it opened my eyes to the idea of holism or holistic thinking. And I went from that time of my life into recognizing that um, I wasn't necessary, necessarily uh, fully satisfied working in corporate America. Um, I worked for an organization that had been bought out by a very large company and um, it was taking the humanness out of my job for me. So um, I had a very, you know, profound transition. I was about in my mid-30s, I guess, or close to my mid-30s. And I just, I don't know, I woke up one day uh, and realized that my path needed to take a very sharp turn. turn um, and I embarked on acupuncture school. And so I guess at the age of 34, that was where my career um, you know, I continue to work in the emergency department and uh, I was in a managerial role. I was working on departmental design committees. I was doing all kinds of really interesting things, but I knew that this connected more with who I really was. And that was my jumping off point to where acupuncture school started and off I went. <laughs> so that's kind of how it all began. Oh, that, that's a... An amazing story of pivoting and kind of really listening to yourself. Uh, where did you go from there? Were you private? Had SourcePoint started? Just uh... Yeah, I mean, school was a long journey, and it took me about four years of um, acupuncture school itself to get my master's degree. And um, during the time of going to school, I actually my current business partner, Elizabeth, um, she and I had worked together in the emergency room and we had a moment one day at work and we're chatting about what's going on in your future. What are you up to? And, um, we realized at that time that we both were starting acupuncture school and neither one of us had any idea. So we commuted together for almost the bulk of our entire school career and became each other's right and left hand ladies, <laughs> which was really cool um, because we we grew a lot during that time and um, we had some similar experiences during school and one of the things that was really profound at the end of our school career was that we interned at a community acupuncture clinic down in Denver and community acupuncture at the time was very new. Um, community acupuncture started in Portland, Oregon. It was a um, idea that was started by two women up there. Um, and the name of their community acupuncture was called working class acupuncture. And the idea was to take acupuncture out of this kind of, 
you know, spa-like setting that a lot of people were experiencing. It was very expensive and kind of exclusive, and they wanted to bring it to the masses, and that was uh, one of the things that we fell in love with, was this idea that we, um, we could kind of embody this idea of bringing this medicine to everyone, making it available to anybody regardless of their financial need or, um, you know, ability to pay, if you will. And that was what kind of got SourcePoint Community Acupuncture started, and that's been our business since uh, we opened in 2009. So I want to delve a little bit deeper into acupuncture and the concept of community acupuncture. Mm -hmm. So kind of two questions, but I'll break it into two. Uh, what are what are some misconceptions of acupuncture, and what really is acupuncture? Well, acupuncture, um, you know, one of the biggest misconceptions is that it is not real medicine. And um, after being in practice for as long as I have, um, you know, there's there's this idea. There's something called sham acupuncture. Um, that people have used that term in the past. And and basically what they're saying is that people go into this relaxing setting and they feel like there's a placebo effect Mm. um, that kind of causes this person to work through their healing process. And, you know, after years of doing this um, and, and also doing some, you know, of my own research into the historical sense of what acupuncture really is, there have been forms of acupuncture culturally in many diverse um, parts of the world over thousands and thousands of years. So, you know, acupuncture is attributed to the Chinese, but the Chinese were the first to really document the use of acupuncture in their, um, in their medical system, if you will. But it does date back to ancient Egypt, ancient India, um, different places like that. And what it is, is it's an overall system. The body um, has its physical component, but as we all know, there's these terms uh, floating around in our um, culture these days, things like the word chi or prana. And that is basically what um, we could define as life force energy. Acupuncture works with that energy. There's also, from the Western perspective, some really unique ways of explaining acupuncture. Um, It's very, you know, kind of complicated to someone who maybe isn't real versed in pathophysiology, but they think it works on a cellular level um, at a place called the telomere, which is a a connection between two cells, if you will. Um, And there's a a lot of studying around acupuncture these days, not to get too technical about it, but basically, um, you know, we don't have a full definition of how acupuncture works, but we know that it works based on thousands of years of anecdotal studies. Um, and it's a really unique system. It is very unique. And I, I, I can understand why people might think that it's a, a placebo effect because it absolutely is extremely... For when, for when I receive it, I go someplace and I come back 
extraordinarily refreshed. And, and the telomere piece is interesting because there's a lot of work right now being done with antioxidants and telomeres. So right. more, more for our audience to digest. Um, but I think that begs to another question, which is not the original question I was going to ask you next. But, <laughs> but, but you know, we think about you, were, you started with acupuncture with your own uh, back pain. Mm -hmm. And then, so, but what other types of diagnoses or illnesses are you, do you treat for particularly? Yeah, I mean, acupuncture um, and honestly, you know, just not just uh, acupuncture on its own. There are other things besides acupuncture that a traditional uh, Chinese medicine practitioner does. There's obviously, you know, things like herbal medicine and other modalities like cupping and different things like that that we'll utilize. So, you know, the things we generally see the most often are pain because that's what it is most commonly used for in our culture is uh, pain-related syndrome. So anything from, you know, elbow pain, back pain, headaches. Um, I will often treat patients for, you know, uh, post-traumatic injuries like uh, ankle sprains, post-surgery, um, a variety of pain-related problems are definitely a huge percentage of what most acupuncture practices uh, see. My personal practice, um, we see a lot of that kind of problem, but we also will work uh, with digestive problems. We work um, headaches, also, you know, viral and bacterial problems such as viruses, colds, flus, stomach problems related to, you know, the ingestion of a toxin like food poisoning, for example, is something that we can work to help someone feel better from. Mm -hmm. We do preventative medicine for the immune system. Uh, we really look at the body as a whole being. So in my own practice, I work with a lot of people on their uh, psychological and emotional health. So anxiety has been something that has been very profound, especially in the last year. Um, depression, again, another thing that we don't really think of as being something you would go to an acupuncturist for. But in my personal practice and in our clinic, those are some of the very top things we work with are people and their emotions, um, grief, hmm. different things like that. I just think of those things as kind of also being not the telomere level, but a life force issue as well. Those things, For sure. you know, um, certainly do impact that. Um, so tell us a little bit, what does community acupuncture mean? What is that design? What is that health care sure. philosophy? So the model that we were introduced to, we've actually, um, we've kind of created our own version of the same thing. Uh, community acupuncture, again, I think I mentioned in the intro, we, you know, the idea is that you want to make this medicine accessible to anyone who feels they need support, regardless of their ability to pay. Um, you want to make it available to anyone, um, who comes to your your clinic and wants help. It's um, basically designed with the idea that you would see more patients more frequently during a clinic day. 
So if you run a private practice, you may see two patients an hour, for example. In our practice, we tend, uh, of course, I have to speak to the after COVID times because this is what we're doing right now, but we see three patients an hour. In the past, we had everyone in a big open treatment space. Um, it was a large room, beautiful skylights, fireplace, um, kind of segregated little areas with screens and different things. So you had some level of privacy, but um, at this point, we've separated everything out into private spaces. So we have private rooms, and we still use that large room, but um, not for as many patients. So we've had to pivot again a little bit mm -hmm. with COVID. It's um, created a bit of an interesting scenario for us, honestly. Um, but the idea is that you see more people per day, and because of that, you're able to charge a smaller fee um, for your sessions. So everything we do is based on a sliding scale. That sliding scale was created with the intention that we're always going to see people who have um, a greater ability to pay. They'll have a more of a financial means to pay the higher end of our sliding scale. And then that way, if we have folks who come in and they just really are having some kind of financial problem or concern, they can afford to come in and pay less. And it's what we call pay it forward. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because with that setup, I honestly have never had to turn anyone away. Um, there are people who do pay a little bit below the bottom end of our scale just because that's what they agree to um, with us. We, we make individual concessions when, when needed. And I do have people who make a larger donation um, at times to be able to support that. So after all of these years, we've managed to do a really good job of, um, you know, keeping true to that. Even during COVID, we, we did have to make a couple small adjustments, but honestly, it's been really amazing. So because we see more and more patients, um, you know, on a given day, I probably treat between 20 and 25 patients on average, wow. whereas in a private practice, you may see, you know, seven, eight, 10, depends on how often, you know, how much you work. But So something that speaks to me about that model, though, is that the, are they patients or customers, clients? How do you define their patients? I, I mean, we call them patients. You can use the term client if you choose. It's so as a patient coming in, there's just this, also, not expectation, but because I don't think it's asked, but um, a bit just being respectful of others because of the environment. There's kind of this mutual kind of co-respect that, yeah. you know, you're sharing a space, but you're also sharing of yourself. And I think that's a very, uh, um, you know, I'm at a loss for words. I might have to edit <laughs> this out, but uh makes me feel warm and fuzzy anyway to know that, sure. you know, you're coming into a space where everyone is appreciative and recognizes we're all coming in at equal footing for whatever reason patients are there, um, but to be respectful of that financially and then also just within the space itself. Right. It creates a really interesting environment of um, what, what we kind of use the words collective healing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we don't always recognize that when you walk into a room full of people, you kind of pick up on the energy that's all around you. And, you know, some people would call that empathy or being an empath. And I think it's just really about, you know, you've kind of read the room and you see how it feels. 
and you either take something from it or you kind of close yourself down so that you don't feel it. And we try to create a warm, comfortable environment for people so that they feel that collective energy of like, hey, all of these people are here doing the same thing. And it offers a lot of comfort, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, people really like it. Uh, it's been really great to watch the community that has been built out of SourcePoint. Um, originally, we thought, you know, it was all about the acupuncture, but over the years, that's definitely not what we've seen. It's not just about the acupuncture. <laughs> the acupuncture almost seems secondary a little bit at this point. So is there um, a favorite patient story or... Yeah, there's one that's kind of, there's always this kind of, as you worked in healthcare forever, there's always this one story that just kind of sticks with you. Do you have, do you have a patient story like that of, oh, yeah, it uh, go either I, way? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know if there's just one story, um, because mm -hmm. I feel this incredible uh, respect and, you know, I've been gifted the brilliance of being able to work with people and those people have taught me they are my greatest teachers um so every moment i have with someone i try to you know embody what they've taught me and sometimes it's devastatingly painful i have cried with patients many a time before because of something going on in their life um and i think i would probably bring it back to the moments, um, and I've had a lot of these in the last year because this year has uh, really brought up a lot for different people. And I think one of my favorite stories of the last year has been uh, this gentleman who's, he's in his 40s and his body is kind of giving him a hard time. He was having some issues with some back pain and um, before COVID happened, it, it caused him to have to leave his job. He has a pretty, um, you know, well-paying job. He's the person who's the breadwinner for his home. And uh, they were definitely living the American dream. And what ended up happening is he had to go on this leave of absence from the job. And he realized as he was going through this horrendous problem with his physical body is that it was kind of a wake-up call for him to get his life in order. He realized that he was massively overextended in his financial world. He wasn't doing any good self-care at all. And he kind of came back, you know, to reality during having some acupuncture treatments where we would sit and talk about, you know, maybe this is more about you awakening to what you want the rest of your life to look like. And after having several conversations with him, this guy has just, I mean, it's unbelievable what he's accomplished. He's sold houses that were overextending him and, and, and uh, personal belongings. And he's taken up a meditation practice, a yoga practice. His back is better and he's back to work, but he's put new limits in on what he's doing. And it's pretty, pretty great to, you know, sit and talk to this guy when he walks in and say, I don't even recognize you as the same man that came here, you know, six or eight months ago. So there's moments like that, that you watch, um, you know, just being able to offer support and give somebody a little bit of attention to their physical body and help them get recentered and they start to soar. And I have stories like that. We could talk 
literally for the rest of the afternoon about um, because it does it it happens in my uh, in my job every day um, so that's pretty beautiful and uh, I think that's the gift of what I'm able to do with people is I get as much from you my people that I work with as I do you know from my own education and learning and I think I try to give as much as I get I hope <laughs> So I'm going to have two branches we're going to go with this idea of self-care because it's Mm -hmm. out there. It's in every magazine you read. And, uh, you know, there's this whole, there's just so much about self-care. And and then you offer a lot of, to all of us, to help improve our self-care. And I want to kind of go down this laundry list of of things that you you have in your toolkit but sure. let's talk a little bit about the importance of self-care to start, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, self-care, you know, has become a very popular kind of trendy word. And I, I remember at the beginning of, you know, last year talking with this friend of mine. And, and she gave me a term that I'm going to give Sandy some credit right now. Um, she said the words to me, self-first. And we had a discussion about that and and what self first and self care really mean to me is that if I am conscious and aware of the things that I'm doing for me, meaning the food I eat, the water I drink, what I choose to listen to on, you know, the radio, the television, social media, the type of podcasts I'm interested in, um, and things like that, then I am more able to be better outside of my little world you know when I go out and I'm with other people with when you're with friends family that kind of thing if you put yourself first and you take good care of who you are as a person then everything is a lot easier on the outside um you you take moments to really think about what it is as an individual, what Lisa (laughs) or what Carrie would want to have um, to really be the best version of ourselves that we can. So that's what I think self-care is about. I think it comes in lots of different modalities. And what I'm realizing is that we all are kind of finding our niche with that. Um, For some people, it's things like massage and uh, acupuncture, meditation, but it also comes down to our food choices. You know, it's it's going to be better for us to really be conscious of that versus just grabbing whatever, you know, is available to us on the quick fix kind of mode. And I think we've all slowed down a lot, you know, or not everyone, but a lot of us have slowed down a lot this year in the way we operate. And I think it's letting us look at what the self really wants. So that's what I think self-care is, is about really thinking about me as an individual and what I really choose versus what's trendy or popular, you know? Yeah. There's another piece to it, and Mm -hmm. maybe there's a good Taoist philosophy out there on this. (laughs) I don't know, because uh, the whole piece of is it selfish to put self first? And, you know, there's such a, maybe not religious, but there's this how do you... For me, it's always how to how to deal with if I'm is it selfish to be self first? That's probably the, the big question for the day. But I love the concept of self first, and how to shake off that selfish piece of it. Is it right? 
Yeah. I think that's a very, um, you know, that was really the conversation that prompted me to use this as a bit of a mantra this year is how do we change our philosophy around what is selfish and what is self first, right? Like, um, for example, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's selfish if you're taking care of yourself by choosing filtered water over tap water, right? Like it's just a healthy conscious decision. So if you kind of look at everything that way, it doesn't mean I'm taking anything away from what I would do or how giving I could be to someone else. It just means that I am taking better care of me so that I'm better able to do those things for other people. You know, we all get burned out and tired and exhausted and um, because we're always giving and we're always doing and how do we get away from the giving and doing mode and get back to a little bit of self-preservation so that there's more of me to go around and and that's why people seek healing. That's why they seek acupuncture and psychotherapy and um, all of those different things is because they want to feel better. And if we just pull the, you know, pull the reins back a little bit and say, hey, I'm willing to give myself as much attention as I do all of these other places where I've been expending energy, um, I think that's really not selfish at all. I think that means that you're truly taking care of you as a human. You know, we have this human body and we can wear it out really easily by giving way too much. I love that idea of thinking of what we're doing with ourselves like filtered water versus regular water. We're not taking, we're not taking away, we're not keeping anyone else from having water, but we're keeping ourselves healthier so we can be a better self for others. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, let's pivot for just a moment because I don't want to forget you have so many other things in your toolkit so tell us <laughs> just start somewhere maybe what is an external chi healer um so i think yeah. sure yeah i mean I, I i've studied a lot of things over the years i've gotten you know varied interests just at different times in my life because of my own path my own healing journey my own you know spiritual growth moments whatever you want to call them mm. and so i i kind of um have to say that I've done a lot of different things and I don't necessarily do them all all the time but they've helped me kind of evolve and create my own practice and um, so I think external chi healing uh, that is something that I spent about a year studying with a gentleman um, who's a Taoist priest he came from China and he studies or I mean he teaches excuse me a whole series of different things like qigong uh, and tai chi training and the external chi healing, the closest thing I could probably uh, relate it to that you might have heard of is called Reiki. Yes. Um, Reiki and different types of energy work are something that's really, you know, become very popular in our culture now. And uh, each of those has a lot of similarities. And, and that's what external chi healing is, is it's like a type of external energy work. It's... Um, during the training, you learn various ways of cultivating your own energy or your own chi, which chi is basically the same thing as, I guess, life force is the easiest way to describe it. Um, we're all born with chi, and we all do things that nourish our chi, such as eating food, drinking water, 
the cleaner and healthier uh, of a lifestyle we live, the more we're able to conserve that chi. Um, the more destructive things we do to our bodies, you know, like staying up too long, working too hard, uh, things like that will deplete chi. So when our chi runs out, we do too, <laughs> is the easiest <laughs> way to put it. Um, and the external chi healer is just someone who helps the the client or the patient that they're working with by using different techniques to help um it's a more of a non-physical touch kind of energy healing so i i do that occasionally with some people and i do i also have some reiki training so i do that as well so where does um I want to talk about you for a moment. So how do sure. you, how do you recharge or reachy or whatever you want to call reachy. it? How do I reachy? That's a good question. Um, so I, I have worked really hard over the last uh, several years to get a really good um, balance in my life. I purposefully have never worked more than if I can help it, uh, three days a week, even when I was in nursing, we worked 12 hour days. So we would only work three days a week. So I generally have, you know, three to four days off per week where I have time for my own personal interests, you know, things like hiking and, um, being outdoors and walking the dog and paddle boarding or, you know, vacations, whatever, those things are always really important to me. But I think, my day-to-day practice is probably the most important part of my, uh, you know, reaching. And we've just made a new word. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> I love it. Um, but, you know, meditation is really important. Uh, I meditate every day at some point. It could be for five minutes. It could be just what, you know, a walking meditation. Like walking the dog can be a meditation uh, I try to be really conscious of the food that I eat. I eat pretty much organically grown foods as much as possible. Um, I don't drink water that's not filtered unless I have to. Um, I, you know, I try to pay close attention to my diet. That's a really important part of uh, my health and well-being. Of course, this last year, you know, the carbohydrates have probably been a little bit more <laughs> uh, consistent, but overall that's a good place for me to to feel well and you know meditation yoga um, and physical activity Mm -hmm. and then also just really good mind body practices so I have little tips and you know things that I do for myself during the day because I do work with people um, and a lot of times I work with people who are you know suffering and um, therefore I have to go through a process of just kind of letting some things go during the day and that's where the meditation and mindfulness comes in you know not carrying that load around with me and so I have different types of um let's see I don't want to use the word psychotherapy because I do I don't really go to a psychotherapist but I work with some different mind body uh healers that help me with that part of my life I can I can see that there's a I had studied compassion fatigue for several yeah. years, and um, actually I took an online certification. It it was it's really fascinating, and partly because healthcare workers do tend to, especially ones that work in your field, at, at 
pre your current field and your previous mm -hmm. um, EMTs, um, people who are first responders, disaster relief, right? Uh, really suffer from compassion fatigue. Uh, I have two questions. You've mentioned filtered water twice, so I do want to yeah. ask about that. What's, what's, <laughs> it's what's a big up, deal. What's up with the filtered water? <laughs> the, the big deal about the filtered water for me is that I um, started filtering water. We use a system called, I'm not getting paid to advertise for Berkey, but um, Berkey water filters, and they take the fluoride out of the water, mm -hmm. and they take the chlorine out of the water. Mm -hmm. So when I drink water, I... Um, like out of the tap, I can smell the chlorine in it now because I'm so used to not having those chemicals in there. Okay. Um, so that's why that's important to me is that I just feel like water purification, you know, water is a huge component of vitality. We all know what happens to us when we're even a little bit dehydrated. Mm -hmm. And we live in Colorado, so most of us are chronically dehydrated. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the water is life. We're 80% water, so that's why it's really important. And mm -hmm. I feel the same way about food. You mentioned um, my teacher, Dr. Mikio Sankey, and he uh, very much talks about the vibration of what we put in our body and how it creates a cleaner, more crystalline type person, right? If we eat healthier, if we drink healthier, we feel better, our minds work better, our bodies work better. So that's where that comes in. Wow. Okay, awesome. Uh, I'm going to go do my research. Aren't you glad you asked? <laughs> I am. I had to. I was like, what do I need to go research when we pop off this podcast? Um, and then the other is meditation. And there's... Um, Gosh, we I remember decades ago we reading is it Benson mind uh, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it didn't go over well in the eighties, but I think it's in, it's more in place now. Um, but tell us or tell us a little bit what what is the difference between just sitting and being quiet and really practicing meditation or mindfulness? Sure. Meditation has gotten to be a very complex uh, creature in the last, oh gosh, you know, 15, 20 years, and especially in the United States. And I think you, you, we've always thought that meditation was associated uh, a lot of times with Eastern religions. And so I think that's kind of where some of the aversions originally came from, is they thought you had to, you know, go sit in a cave and <laughs> not eat or drink and just think about nothing. And what I think meditation really is, is I think you can do meditation kind of in any format you choose. There are so many apps and different things now available that it makes it very interesting to uh, learn how to just kind of center and and let go of what goes on in your brain during the day. We all get very busy-headed and sometimes get really overwhelmed by you know, rapid thinking. One of the things my patients complain of the most is that they can't lay still because their brain is going all over the place. We call that monkey mind in our world. Oh, good to <laughs> um, know. Okay. You know, you think of those monkeys just jumping from tree to tree, and that's what people's thoughts do. So the idea behind meditation is just really getting us out of that nervous system overload that happens um, in our lifestyle. Our lifestyle in the United States especially is kind of go, 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 jumping from one thing to another. And you, it's just about recentering and giving yourself a moment to reset your thoughts. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to sit 
on a meditation cushion and have an empty mind, it means that you need to just slow your thinking and wrap your head around what your day is going to look like. Um, for example, my morning meditation always looks like me laying in bed, waking up, and thinking about a little bit of a plan for my day. And that's it. <laughs> you know, it's not complicated. Um, and then sometimes I'll do, you know, of course, there's all kinds of meditations that, you know, meditations to support traveling out of your body and different, you know, various different things, very complicated types of meditation. But just the most simple thing is mindfulness in our th our day to day. So being mindful and aware of the choices we make around food, where we go, what we watch, what we listen to, that's what I think mindfulness is. And I think meditation can be something as simple as just allowing yourself some time to, I don't know, sit outside and look up at the trees and listen to the leaves blow and not think about anything particularly, you know? I, I think our culture is so ingrained for our work culture particularly that we have to be doing something we have to be exceeding expectations you know we've got to be five star and yeah and and there's not that and to take that time to just it, it's kind of okay just to do nothing and right. and and be doing nothing for a short period of time but I, I think part of us is just kind of socially engaged to do that and we have to switch that off there were two words that came to mind when you were speaking and that was being have being thoughtful and intentional like mm -hmm. what i'm, I'm pict not picturing you laying in bed in the morning but i mean <laughs> i think i did that this morning you know laying in the bed going you know just being thoughtful and intentional about how my day is going to be and and I wonder if there's another piece to that at night, being thoughtful and intentional about and thankful for the day that you had. Absolutely. There's um one of the things I did for a number of years, I had a good friend who taught me to have a gratitude practice. And she I'm I'm really not a good journaler, so I, I don't ever stick to that consistently, but she taught me to write at the end of the day, like write one thing that you have gratitude for today. And sometimes I would end up with seven pages um, because you just really learn, you know, we, we don't think about what we're grateful for on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think gratitude um, reminds us of all the beautiful, amazing things we have in our lives, whether it's, you know, the gorgeous house plant that's growing right next to you or the cell phone that you're listening to music on or your loved one who's right there with you and, and we all know how much that has been very vulnerable in the last year, for sure. Um, so I think gratitude is the other greatest part of, you know, meditation is just sitting and thinking about, wow, look at how lucky I am to have all of these amazing things. And I have a job to get up to go do and... I love it, you know. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. Yeah, you you uh, you impact so many many lives. I just I know you have mine, and I know you do others as well. We're gonna be getting ready to wrap up in a little bit, so I really want you to just share maybe something we didn't. Is there something maybe we didn't talk about, or you want to emphasize a little bit more for the audience? Or, or sure. Whatever? Well, I think you know the big thing that 
the theme that's coming through to me is just the overall ability for us to take a little bit of time as individuals to be aware of what it is that makes us feel better in this life. Um, things are very challenging and difficult for people. And I think, um, you know, we've all had exposure to, um, you know, people who are just struggling and having stress and anxiety. And we know that there's a lot of concern. And I think one of the things that we can do is support each other at the physical level and at the emotional level. That's the probably the most important thing. And and being an acupuncturist, one of the things that I would stress to people is that just taking some time for yourself, whether it's coming in for an acupuncture appointment, going to get a massage, finding people who can support you in your wellness journey um, is really the most important thing for all of us right now. Because if we can feel happy and content and satisfied as people, then we can help some of the other people around us who are suffering and struggling right now. I think that's what I would pass through to people anyway. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. It, it kind of leads me to my next question. Um, so if you're in northern Colorado, we can come visit your uh, team at Source Point Acupuncture, but what would you suggest to others who if they're what 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 to look for in an acupuncturist sure um there is a website called nccaom are you able to post a link to that yes uh -huh. okay i'll get the proper name for you but nccaom is our um regulating ag agency in the united states and the minimum requirement for an acupuncturist in the u.s is a master's degree and if you are listed on the NCCAOM website, that means you've actually passed the board certifications. So two things you want to look for are that NCCAOM referral. And also, like in Colorado, you have to have taken the board exams in order to be licensed in the state of Colorado. But not every state has that same requirement. I do think those are both really important, however, because it shows that you've um, taken the time to get the education um, to make you a, a well-rounded, holistic acupuncture practitioner. Okay, well, I'll be sure and add that to the links uh, on the podcast below um, on this episode. So, Carrie, I want to thank you for sharing your story today, sharing just the just everything, the, the interest of acupuncture, but also how important it is as well and all how many avenues we have to be able to stay healthy during this time and to really be the best 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 selves we can be for ourselves. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're most welcome. I really enjoyed it. So that's a wrap for today. We've so enjoyed you being with us. I hope you learned something new, got some inspiration, and you are ready to move forward with your own new season. Remember, we are living life at any age. Take some time to visit the other social media sites. Give us some feedback. Shoot me an email on Facebook. And remember, until then, stay safe and keep on living. Cheers. Cheers.